talk to you um, this morning from a, a subject that I just believe in, in the last few days God's been speaking to me about this particular service. And the title that I want to use this morning is uh, Christmas Disruption. Christmas Disruption. I believe God has a word for every one of us that are in this sanctuary. I don't, I don't just say that lightly. I, I truly believe it. And those of you watching by way of webcast, thank you for joining with us. Can we pray for personal revelation of his word right now? However you feel to open yourself up to what the spirit would say. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the power of your spirit that we feel so, so strong. But we need your word. We need your word to challenge us, to give us direction. And I'm just believing that you're going to give us the revelation we need for our own lives. In Jesus' name. And can the church shout amen? Amen. amen. You may be seated. I say this just about everywhere I go because I really mean it. If this is the first time that you've ever been uh, in this service, please don't make your decision on coming back or not based on a guest minister. Just don't do that. Just if you're blessed today, then thank God. If if you're offended or aggravated, then just drive home saying, thank God he's not our pastor. And and then I, you know, it'll be months before I'm back and then maybe you can figure out when I'm coming back and take a day off. It, I, I don't want to mess anybody up here. What we refer to as the Christmas story has main characters, and I know we focus on 24 hours or 36 hours around it, but there was so much more than that. When I consider Joseph, we read about it in Matthew 1, 18 through 21. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise when his Mother Mary was espoused to Joseph before they came together. She was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily or privately. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife. For that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. She shall bring forth a son. Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now, when you want to talk about Christmas disruption, Joseph got torpedoed. I mean, Joseph got messed up. And so what happens is many times we read these these, you know, stories, and we just kind of bypass the impact 
of really what was going on in people's lives. Brother Lumpkin was my pastor in my formative years, and I remember him saying many times, it only takes one phone call to bring your world crashing down around you. It, it only takes one doctor's report. It only takes one uh, family member maybe coming out with what's been under the surface. It it only takes these things, and this was obviously days before phones and all of this, and so now we have this conversation, and Joseph is looking at the love of his life. He was doing everything right. He was a good man. He was a just man. He was a good Jew. He was lined up, and and now he's got the okay to be a spouse to this girl that he loves, and Things are moving um, along wonderfully in this engagement, and then all of a sudden, I'm pregnant, but I've not been with a man. Yeah, right. Yeah, I mean, you're talking about disrupting an engagement. Now, our engagement, mine and Melanie's, was was just disrupted like like crazy, turned upside down. It was like just a miserable mess. Um, we were about two months away from being married, uh, thought we had everything lined out, where we were going to be, where we were going to minister. Two months before we got married, I, I was the one that got to the church early, turned all the air on, unlocked all the doors, did all that stuff, and then I would, would, uh, would pray. And I go in and kneel down and pray, and the Spirit of the Lord speaks to me and said, you're leaving, and didn't tell me where I was going. And so it was literally, abs- it was an absolute mess. I hear these people talking about, about their engagement time just being so wonderful and their first year of marriage and all that. Well, our first year of marriage was okay because we were ignoring everything. And then, then we uh, went to New Orleans for our first year anniversary and it, we had a three-day fight. I mean, it was, it was just an absolute, absolute mess. So although I can't go into, you know, what Joseph faced, I, I do understand a little bit about several times in my life thinking everything was lined out only for God to say, this is funny, but you don't know which way you're going. When you look at Mary, other than, than Jesus, I guess we would agree that she was the main person. When we consider Luke 1, starting with verse 28, I'll, I'll read this quickly. The angel come, came in unto her and said, Hail, thou, art, that, thou that art highly favored, the Lord is with thee, blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this would be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, for thou hast found favor with God. Well, this is all, this looks like it's going well. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son, and shalt call his name Jesus, and he shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. I mean, this is absolutely amazing. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. 
Therefore, also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she hath also conceived a son in her old age, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For with God, nothing shall be impossible. For with God, nothing. Nothing. We need to remind ourselves that God is never out of options. Never. Verse 38, and Mary's response to this. Behold the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. Be it unto me according to thy word. If we ever learn that. If we ever learn to get past all of our preconceived ideas, and this is the way my life is, and I'm going to do this, and then it's going to be this, and then it's going to be this. If we can ever move into actually living, be it unto me according to thy word. And when she said that, after this great angelic visitation, her life went into a season of disruption like she could not even imagine. In this day and time, there will be times that we will feel the moving of the Spirit, that God will be speaking to us in, in an amazing way. We will feel the Spirit of God even like we felt it in this building so far. But there will also be an opportunity to say, be it unto me according to thy word. The angelic visitation is not enough. It's aligning ourselves with his word. And so Mary finds herself, she, she's living right. She was a virgin. She was headed toward marriage in that manner. She's going to uh, marry this, this great young man. She has a, a great reputation, and now this spirit thing in her has conceived something while she's still a virgin. Who is going to understand that? Now, who is going to believe that? There is absolutely no way. And so she goes in now to a, a whisper campaign, and her life moves on and on, and some wanted to kill her. That, that was the reason why Joseph wanted to put her away privately, he believed it, but only after an angelic visitation. I don't have time to preach a lot on this that could be its own message, but there are times that the Spirit is going to say things to you that your only, your, your only way of carrying it out is going to be keeping your faith in God and your mouth shut and letting time prove it. We, we have got to move past this under thinking that everything's just, you know, in this God walk, in this spirit-led business, that we're going to be able to always look good, always look right, always come out on top. That is not the way this works. There is a reason why the Holy Ghost is called the comforter, because where it leads many times, comfort will be needed. Jesus in the will of God was led into the wilderness for what? To be tempted by the devil. You mean he was God led into that? 
absolutely he was. And we're reading about this, and now we see this angelic visitation. But what a disruption Christmas really was. So now she either walked or rode a donkey or walked some, rode some, or rode all the way or walked all the way 70 to 90 miles in the last couple of days of her pregnancy. Now, I have uh, observed a, a pregnancy close up twice because we have two children. Uh, Melanie would not have wanted to have ridden the donkey across town to the hospital. we have any mothers here that they think back on that wonderful time and say, why did you take me in the car? Why didn't you take me on a donkey? I wanted to be like Mary. We're talking serious disruption. When you look at the shepherds, not going to spend much time there, they, they were disrupted. But as I look at the story, they were the least disrupted, but very important that they were there. The wise men, um, the range that I read in studying, they traveled uh, four months to under two years. So that's, that's quite a range. Even if it was four months, it was quite a disruption. And, and Herod, even though he was evil and, and needed to be killed himself, and, and ultimately uh, God did just that, but his life was also disrupted by this Christmas thing. And then you can believe that every parent who had a baby boy under two years old, the Christmas story really disrupted their life because their babies were, were killed. And so when we look at Christmas disruption, it really should not surprise us when we look at the Word of God because... Christ is a major disruptor. Jesus Christ is, is a major disruptor. You see, the Christmas season really shows how a lot of Christianity view Jesus. Because the masses of Christianity are very comfortable with a cuddly baby Jesus. It's just the King Jesus that gets them. What, what Christianity wants to do today is keep him in the manger. Let's all celebrate. Keep him in the manger. But what we have to understand is, is Jesus Christ was born King. He was King. And so, yes, Jesus was and is the Prince of Peace, and, and he brings peace if peace is needed. But he also brings a sword, if a sword is needed. His dealings are, are always eternal over temporal. Always. Our focus most of the time is temporal. But you can believe that, that our temporal focus does not change his eternal intention. And we can also believe that, that Jesus is never manipulated by emotion. We can throw a fit, but he loves us. 
But do you think me throwing a fit is going to change his, his eternal view? And so what happens is, is we so many times, we are just seeing this part and he sees the entire scope and his work in our life is all about the end. The end is more important. Eternal is more important. Brother Lumpkin, again, my, my pastor, many times he would say, we never develop spiritual muscles in a dead calm. It's always the retarding winds of opposition that builds that, that in us. We, we need to change our glasses. Temporal lenses just lend to cloudy vision. But it's eternal lenses that provide clarity. Whenever I'm looking at life with temporal, it's cloudy. But whenever I put on eternal lenses, some things, it changes. It changes. There are some people here today, you need to change your lenses. Because you're getting aggravated over things that really, in the, in the big scope of things, they don't even matter. We're, we are literally sentencing ourselves on such a lower level of life when we don't have to. But as long as we have temporal lenses, as long as we're keeping the eternal lenses on the shelf, we will always have cloudy vision. David said it like this, my feet had almost slipped, right, until I came, the psalmist said, until I came into the sanctuary. I was looking at the wicked people who had all the money. I was looking at how things were going, and here I was trying to live good. And all the people that were living another way, they were getting all the breaks. And my feet had well nigh slipped until I came into the sanctuary. I was wearing cloud, I was wearing temporal lenses. But when I came into the sanctuary and I put on eternal lenses, then I gained clarity. Jesus was the loving shepherd. But he was also the bold temple cleanser. Jesus was the tender advocate to a woman caught in the act of adultery. But Jesus was also bold as a lion as he confronted the religious leaders of the day. Yes, he was. See, it'd be one thing for him to be talking to his disciples and say, Men, we're, we're dealing with those scribes and Pharisees and their hypocrites. That'd be one thing. No, he's right out in the middle looking at them, saying, scribes, you scribes and you Pharisees, you're all hypocrites. Yes, the tender one who, who would go out for the one, the one that would stop and see Zacchaeus and say, I'm coming to your house, even though it's ticking all these other people off. I'm coming to your house anyway because I'm not about consequences. I'm about right. I'm not about consequences. I'm not about, I'm not about the fallout. 
I was talking to a, a leader the other day who was over in Israel, and he had the, the opportunity to meet with one of the highest generals of the Israeli army. And he has been to Camp David multiple times advising some U.S. presidents. And he said this to my friend who was over there. He said, the problem with you Americans is this. You focus on consequences. He said, what we do in the Israeli army is we just deal with what's right. And then we'll deal with whatever that brings. It's not about consequences. It's about doing what's right. And then we deal with whatever. I'm talking about Jesus, the disruptor. To that rich young man, he said, sell everything that you have and give it to those in need. And he, he would not make such a commitment. He was already doing good. Everything that Jesus said, you need to do this, you need to do that. He was like, done, done. Well, you need to do this, done. I mean, he, he sounds like an advanced Bible quizzer who was living right. He had it he had it all he had it all down and then Jesus and then Jesus moved it into disruption and he walked away Luke 12:15 through 21 and he said unto them take heed and beware of covetousness for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth and he spake a parable unto them saying the ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, because I have no room where to bestow my fruits? And he said, This will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there will I bestow all of my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. The key word there is excess. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. Now we're looking at ease. But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Excess and ease are killing many people spiritually. Excess and ease. We are so driven because we, we, have to, we have to lay it up. Well, what happens if this? I've got to be, and then ease. I, I want to be able to work uh, in a way that I can get a certain age and then just take it easy. That is unbiblical. That is not biblical. I can't help it that it's the American way. God is not American. That is not biblical. This, this retirement business is not biblical. It's Yes, it's human, but in the kingdom, it is not biblical. And what we've got to have, we've got to have people that are 60 plus that will quit wasting their time taking it easy because they think they've earned it for the rest of their life. That's not the kingdom. You say, oh, you're, you've, you've lost your mind. No, there's a lot of other people that have lost their mind because the, the truth is, and don't have time to deal with all this, but if we could ever get the elders understanding that they can be more powerful now than they've ever been, ever. But the reason why we've got, we, we've got 
multitude thousands of, of elders in the apostolic world that are just kind of kicking back till they kick the bucket is because they really don't understand that, that what is done in the Spirit is more powerful than can ever be done in the flesh. And if the elders ever understand that, then there's going to be a prayer covering that is going to be consistently prayed over the river. And there's going to be some elders that stand up with a voice of encouragement that will change the absolute atmosphere of this church and your home. My mother's 80-something years old. I was talking to her the other day. I said, I sure hope you've got the revelation that you're more powerful now than you were when you were driving yourself crazy, working yourself at the church all hours and raising four boys. I hope you realize. I said, and if you don't think that's the truth, then you don't have a revelation of Scripture that it's by His Spirit. It's not by our might. His word continues to show us the necessity of disruption today. John 15 and 2 says, Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. We need to embrace this, this continued disruption in our life. I am embracing this scripture. The things in my life that are not kingdom productive, then, then he wants to take away, and I need to be able to let it go. And everything about me right now that is kingdom productive, I can't say that part of my life is all fixed and ready to go because there is a purging that includes a pruning that must continue to happen in my life. This is a life of disruption by purging and pruning. It's not enough that I'm just not in sin in this level or that level. You call what it's not enough to just not be doing the big sin things that we say. It's how are we allowing Christ to continue to disrupt our life, to take away things out of our life that's holding us back from being kingdom productive. And then even in the areas that, that we are being used in, that we continue to say, prune it, prune it. I, I know, I know it just grew out there, and, but if you can prune it to make it better for the next season, then, then I, I literally accept the ministry of disruption through purging and pruning. It goes deep, 1 Corinthians eleven nineteen. For there must be also heresies, among you, that they which are approved may be made manifest among you. Heresies? Are you serious? Heresies at the river? Yes. Yes. Well, what, what does this, what does this speak, of, speak of? It speaks of storming a city and, and taking capture. It's people. What, what 
is it speaking of when it says there must be heresies among us, people following their own unbiblical opinions and theories to dissension? That's exactly what heresies are. When you think about heresies, think Pharisees and Sadducees. Think scribes. Now, now I'm going to add just because someone is, is kind and sweet does not mean they're right. Some of the biggest devils I've dealt with in my ministry were people who had been born again and were some of the kindest, sweetest. I'll tell you what comes to my mind. What comes to my mind is the kiss of death. That's right. People that will kiss you, but they're also stabbing you. People who will smile, but then they're working dissension. That is called heresies. Well, so why in the world will, will that, is that allowed? So truth can be approved. Every one of us will be disrupted in a manner that our spirit will come forth. There, there will be enough. If I'm walking with this, and then all of a sudden, well, what came out? Water. Why? Water was in there. How did it come out? Because it was shaken. And so when we're shaken, what's really in us is what comes out. We, we can't hide it. And that's the reason why disruption is so important. That's the reason why heresies must come. And in this body, heresies will come. What side are you going to be on? Every apostolic body that is being led by the Spirit will be attacked by heresies from within. The Apostle Paul learned and accepted the value of disruption. In 2 Corinthians 11, I'm going to summarize the first few verses. He spoke about labor, stripes, prisons, death, five times receiving 39 stripes, three times beaten with rods, stones, shipwreck, journeyings. He talked about perils. He found himself in so many different kind of perils, perils of waters, robbers, countrymen, heathen city, wilderness sea, false brethren. Weariness, pain, watching, hunger, thirst, fastings, cold, nakedness, and the care of all of the churches. And then he said in 2 Corinthians 11.30, If I must needs glory, I will glory of the things which concern my infirmities. That's what he said. There are people that are here in this sanctuary today that had it not been for disruption, you wouldn't even be here. Had, had it not been for something disrupting your life, you, you, would, you wouldn't even be serious about God. Disruption. Disruption. And finally, we need a mental church campus disruption. We need Jesus Christ to disrupt the widespread church campus concept today that has reduced what was intended to be in a kingdom equipping center into a performing arts center. We need disrupted. We need disruption. That's what we need.
The construction of each new building, and I have loved following this and seeing, and, and my, this, this expansion. But each building caused physical disruption. But now we must not allow that to cause spiritual disruption. Hear me, the river. Man was never intended to have the ability to build a physical structure to contain God's intention for that area. Never. Noah's Ark, man saw a structure with the ability to protect eight people and many animals. But God saw billions of each. Moses and the tent of meeting and the cloud. The tent could not contain the cloud. The tabernacle and its outer court and its inner court and the holy of holies, but the tabernacle could not contain the cloud. Solomon built the most magnificent dwelling, but the glory and wisdom imparted far out distance the structure that was built. The king was laid in a man-made structure called a tomb, but the man-made structure could not hold him. They met in an upper room. It was a structure made by man, but, but 3,000 people didn't fit in that room, and neither did the king's purpose for the outpouring of his spirit. Man-made structures are never intended to be the lid on the king's mission. Ever. Pastor was up here in the earlier part of the service, and he talked about reading in Mark. He also talked about signs and miracles and wonders. We did not talk about this Sunday. Mark 16 and 20. And they went forth and built church structures and strived to fill them to at least 80% full one time on Sunday, allowing a weekly 10 to 15 minute window for people to be saved, delivered, and healed. And they enjoyed a certain percentage new construction bump and they went forth with a, a goal of growing five to ten percent a year not hardly that thinking has been hatched in hell and is being spread through all kind of church growth teaching we don't find that in, in the new church. We don't find where, well, Peter talked to Paul. Do you know if, if we could just grow 3% a year for 10, if our finances could just grow 5%, then we would, no, no. We've got to allow the Spirit of God to disrupt our thinking. 
during this Christmas season and when you come out and you're on your fast, do you know what I hope individually you will be thinking during this Christmas season? Let's celebrate. Let's have a good time. But let's think about the disruption that happened to every one of these people that are in that story. And then whenever you go into your fast, would you please pray, God disrupt me. God disrupt me. God, position me to be disrupted. Show me, God, how you want to disrupt my life. Because the Scripture says, and they went forth, and they preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following. I'm standing in this pulpit today, and I'm saying that, yes, this Christmas story was nothing but disruption. And I'm saying that the Christ of the story, he came and ministered in a very disruptive way. And if we think that we're going to get him to be our Santa Claus or him to be our genie in a bottle or him to be concerned about how we see church and about just the tag in on Sunday and just the tag in during the midweek, and and we're going to have all of this power without disruption. And I came today to say it's not just disruption that happened back in what we call a Christmas story. I promise you that if we're going to see God do in our lives individually what He wants to do, we're going to have to willingly place ourselves on the altar of disruption. And we're going to have to take a position that it really doesn't matter what I think. It it really doesn't, my opinion really doesn't matter. I know this is kind of heavy and harsh today, but this is what the Spirit directed me, me to. It's not about my opinion. It's like one leader I, I was listening to. I may have said this here before, but, but some of you uh, didn't hear it, I'm sure. And he said, somebody asked him, well, what do, you, what do you think about abortion? He said, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what I think about abortion. The Word says. Well, what do you think about homosexuality? It doesn't matter. The Word says. I I will add on and say, well, what do you think about how we can overcome fear? It doesn't matter. The Word says. Well, how do you think we can deal with what Ray, with what Ray and his family is now dealing with? We want to talk disruption of Christmas? You're the poster child for disruption of Christmas right now and your entire family. So how are you going to handle this? It doesn't matter what someone else says. Hey, Ray, what does the Bible say? Hey, Ray's wife, what does the Bible say? Ray's family, parents, what does the Bible say? That's how we're going to handle it. In every, as we stand together, in every area of life, we must embrace Christ disruption.
Now, I'm going to slow down a minute because I don't want anybody thinking that I am an emotional manipulator to the altar. That's the word. That's the word. I have faith in the word. I don't have to prop up the word. The word is the word. And whenever the word is presented correctly, then if we put our faith in the word, then his spirit does what only his spirit can do. Only. I don't know. There are probably people. Please hear me. I'm, I'm about through. There are probably people here today that have never been born again. You've never been born into the kingdom of God the way John 3 talks about, by, by water and spirit. And one reason why is, is because tradition, religious tradition says something different. And religious tradition must be disrupted. We are ready to see people baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Now, hold on a second. Don't clap. The reason why we baptize in the name of Jesus Christ is not to make more members of the river. We baptize in the name of Jesus Christ where when you go all the way under the water, the baptizer says in the name of Jesus Christ, which is a fulfillment of Matthew 28, 19. It's not two opposing warring scriptures. It's not that. It's, it's Jesus said to do that. And those people that were there that he said to do it, they went and in Acts 2, 38, 8, 16, 10, 48, 19, 5, Corinthians, well, they, they did it honoring that way. Now, if, if you never come back inside these doors, you need to be born into the kingdom of God. You need to be baptized in the king's language, in the king's name, and you need to be born of spirit and speak the king's language. But it's going to take disruption. You say, well, but my mother, my father, my grandfather, these, they, these people, the great people, they didn't believe this, and they've passed on. Can, can you just put people in the hands of God? We're not the judge. But, but we must continue in, in revelation. There are some people that, that are apostolics that are very dear to me, that I've gained revelation that doesn't make them comfortable. I love them, but I'm walking in the revelation God's given me. Disruption. And then there are many in here who you've been born again, but you're real comfortable. You're real comfortable. As a matter of fact, you're deadly comfortable. You're, you're spiritually deadly comfortable and today I'm opening up these altars for people who are willing to be disrupted we're going down to the river down to the river down